It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live, Psy Tech Talk, taking the God story to a geeky place. Here's Michelle. Hey, thank you for joining me today. I am Michelle Mendoza. Absolutely delighted to be with you on this Psy Tech Talk day where we take on science and technology and look for a deeper story and look to see if there really is a God story. Like science seems to be the go-to for all of us, for all of the information that's out there. Let's just go to science until science is inconvenient. Then we ignore science and (laughs) suddenly it's not so important. But you know what? There tends to be a consistency in the universe. So if science is reliable, then it should always be reliable and we should be able to take a look at it. And if we see things in science that lead us to a deeper story, I think we should run with it. And when we don't, let's look at the body of evidence and see what weighs out. Keep poking, keep prodding. At least that's what science is for me. Today, we're going to take science to a mysterious level. And I really like the topic that we're taking on today. You see, in the universe, there is a mystery among us. And and when there's a mystery, like where are, where are we, where do we come from? What's it all about? Is there any purpose to the universe? Anytime you have a mystery or let's say a crime investigation, you attempt to piece together events and circumstances and evidence that surround the case. How is the universe the way it is? How did it become the way it is? Why is there a, a rhyme or a reason? to it. We're going to take that on today, that mystery. We're going to investigate it like uh, I'll have my Sherlock hat Holmes on (laughs) today to look a little bit deeper. And we're going to do it with Dr. Fuzz Rana, friend of my Michelle Live and the author of a brand new book, so excited about fit for a purpose. Does the anthropic principle include biochemistry? Dr. Fuzz Rana is a scholar at Reasons to Believe. He's a biochemist and he is an outright very cool guy. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving week. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me and, and happy Thanksgiving to you too, Michelle. Well, lots to be thankful for. First of all, the universe that we abide in, the world that we live in, the abundance that's around us. No no kidding. I was making pies last night and I'm like a pie fiend. When it comes to Thanksgiving, I make a pie for everyone. Everyone gets their own pie. I'm the Oprah of pies. You get a pie. You get a pie. You get a pie. So I'm making tons of pies yesterday, but I was making diverse pies. Pumpkin pie, pumpkin cheesecake. You got apple pie. There's so many different pies. And in our family, they like the traditional, must have been right off, made it right off the Mayflower chocolate cream pie. So we we have all these (laughs) different pies and I'm cutting an apple and thinking to myself out of the blue, wow, apples aren't miraculous this little seed and here's this beautiful juicy tasty apple and and then we have the blackberry seeds and and something else completely different arises we have this this great diversity of just in pies and in the universe we have diversity that just seems to be perfect for life Uh, if it's that 
amazing out in the universe, if it's that amazing on our planet, if it's that amazing in pies, is it that amazing when we go to the microcosms uh, of the universe? That's a bit of what you took on in your book. Yeah, well, you know, I think uh, for the, the average person, when you look up into the heavens at night, you get this really overwhelming sense that uh, there is a mind behind everything, just the grandeur, uh, you know, and the majesty of the universe, you know, bespeaks, I think, of the handiwork of a creator. That was what David described in Psalm 19. You know, and, uh, you know, it's interesting that uh, in recent years, uh, in the last half, you know, century or so, you know, astronomers and physicists studying the universe have discovered that it's not just simply beauty and elegance that we can see, but when we look at the fundamental constants and parameters and characteristics that define the universe, they have to assume these precise exacting values, you know, in order for life to exist. This is called the anthropic principle. And, 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 and it's not just simply design that we see in the universe, but it's, there, there seems to be an, an intent, a, a fitness for purpose to the universe, because if any one of these constants deviates ever so slightly, some cases imperceptibly from the values they hold, then life simply can't exist in the universe. So we live in a just right universe that seems to be unique uh, in its capacity to support life, you know, and the, the very nature of the universe itself, the laws of physics arise out of the fundamental nature, the fundamental fabric of the universe itself. And, and, and so to me, uh, as a biochemist, when I study the inner workings of the cell, when I start thinking about molecules that most people are never going to be able to see or even visualize or imagine, we still see that same type of design and fine tuning. For me, as a biochemist, biochemical systems are beautiful, they're elegant, uh, they're something to marvel. But when we begin to look at the very details of these systems, everything about these systems is exactly the way they need to be for life to be possible. And there are no other ways that we can rationally or reasonably conceive of, of biochemistry and still have life. And so these systems are exactly the way they need to be. There's no other options other than the systems that we see. And these systems seem to be prescribed by the very laws of nature. Uh, and that suggests, again, not only design, but fitness for purpose, that there's this intentionality behind every aspect of the universe. And that intentionality points to really life being possible and ultimately human life being possible. It seems that as we progress in discovery, it compounds the comp complexity issue and the, the, inexplicable uh, chances of everything that you just said, the, the way everything fits together. There are so many factors that weigh in. It's hard to, it's hard to deny that there is that there's purpose behind it. But you know, people have. Uh, we're talking about coincidences. I mean, basically, if we were just to boil it down to, uh, okay, what's anthro the anthropic thing all about? You know, for, for those of us who may be total neophytes, it just boils down to coincidence, doesn't it? Basically. And coincidence sometimes is just coincidence. Uh, okay, something that comes to mind is the 4th of July. 
Thomas Jefferson uh, and John Adams both died in 1826 on the 4th of July. Coincidence, right? Um, the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of, the End of Independence. They both died. Coincidence. And then James Monroe in 1831, the fifth president died on the 4th of July. He was like 73 years old coincidence you know you can look at that and say oh my dr rana see there's some cosmological kind of you know does that explain that god has you know and, and people look at that and say oh, all right do you see sometimes a coincidence is just a coincidence uh douglas adams kind of weighed in on anthropics and said imagine that you're a mud puddle and you wake up one day and you say wow what a nice hole that i happen to be in it's just the right size for me wow it must have been designed that way so people look at the anthropic principle and 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 say sometimes a coincidence is just a coincidence so my question to you is how many of these coincidences are there really out there and when do you start saying okay maybe a coincidence isn't a coincidence just a coincidence yeah well you know um that those are really you know good points that you're raising and they they need to be addressed and it's one thing again if if there's a handful of, of constants of physics that that just seem to be just right so that life is possible. You might say, that's just a coincidence. Didn't we get lucky? But when you have a large number of constants and parameters and characteristics that, that require fine tuning, that again becomes suspicious towards purpose. And that's why looking at the question, does the anthropic principle extend to chemistry and biochemistry becomes so important? Because if the universe is really designed in it so that life is possible we shouldn't just see that design and that fine tuning in the universe itself but we should see it in the in the molecules that create the environment uh, for living systems and in the molecules that make up living systems and that's exactly what we see is that the stacks of the stack of coincidences now are becoming long larger and larger and larger and at some point you have to say we're moving from now just coincidence to the fact that there may very well be an imperative that is behind the universe where the universe is this way because something is compelling it to be this way. And one reasonable explanation is it's a transcendent personal creator that intended the universe to be that way. You know, and, and I love Doug Adams, you know, it, you know, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you know, the guy's sense of humor is just amazing. And he does raise, you know, a really profound question here. You know, are we just that that water that's in a in a, in a lucky mud puddle, you know, that we see design? I feel like that sometimes. Fact, I really yeah. do. But that's for yeah. another show. I may be a psychologist. <laughs> I don't know. Wrong kind of doctor. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> yeah. But 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 anyway, um, you know, but what the what the idea behind the anthropic principle that that analogy that Doug, Douglas Adams uses is is not a really good analogy because the analogy isn't oh that we're in this mud puddle that's just the right shape because the hole is just the right shape but rather it's we live in a universe where we can actually have concave surfaces that are even possible that that if the universe was any other way there would never be holes at all in the universe so that life is is even possible 
And interestingly enough, the very first scientist to recognize this is a scientist who never gets his due when it comes to these kind of conversations. And it was a physiologist at Harvard University who wrote a book called Fitness of the Environment. And uh, Lawrence Henderson was his name. And uh, 1913, he realized that the, the, the unusual chemical properties and physical properties of water and carbon dioxide and of carbon-containing compounds, of organic compounds, were exactly the way they needed to be so that life would be possible. And he marveled at the fact that, you know, if they were, if these, mole, these molecular entities didn't exist or, or they didn't, we didn't live in a universe where these properties weren't possible, there's no way that, that the environment of the earth could even support life, that you could never even have a, an origin of life or, or evolution and, it happening if the universe wasn't exactly that way that it is, the chemical environment, you know, exactly that way. And, and Henderson, by the way, was uh, uh, strictly a strict Darwinist. He was an agnostic, maybe an atheist. Uh, and yet he realized that these coincidences go beyond mere chance. That was, those were his words exactly. That'll rock that, your world. <laughs> right, that there's Especially. got to be something behind the universe that is, is, dri is driving us towards uh, the possibility that life even exists, that makes the universe bio-friendly. And, and so, you know, in a, in, I think if, if somebody is honest, when you start seeing these anthropic coincidences, that, that you really are forced to the fact that there is a, a teleology to the universe. There's an intentionality to the universe. And to me, when you start talking in those terms, the only thing that you're left with is a personal, a, a personality, a mind that has decided and willed and purposed the universe to be this way. All right. So this is where we give a little warning to those of you who may be atheists, agnostics, you, you don't want to delve deeper into the anthropic principle because, you know, the consequences might be alarming for you. And freaking, really? Who knew a mud puddle? could be so wise because the, the depth of the thought, well, yeah, how lucky I am that I just happened to be in this perfect size hole for me. But it, it goes even beyond that. The, the, the connection you deal with this in, in your book, Fit for a Purpose, uh, the connection between water and life and, and the anthropic principle, the, the, the chemical, uh, you talk about that as well. Uh, the anthropic principle in the cosmos. Wow. That's amazing. But taking it down to the micro level is fascinating as well. And water is an example. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, we tend to take water for granted because we're very familiar with water. You know, we're, we, we manipulate and handle water all the time. But the fact of the matter is water is a really bizarre, unusual liquid. And, and I first really began to appreciate that when I took organic chemistry and I started dealing with all kinds of liquids that hmm. were not aqueous liquids made up of organic materials. And none of them behaved like water. They all behave more or less the same but none of them behaved like water. Water is this really bizarre, unusual substance that, that has these unusual properties that are exactly the properties that we need so that life is possible. And there's no other liquid that could serve as a, a solvent 
uh, uh, to, to make life possible, to allow for life to exist. Okay, uh, and, let me ask you quickly then, if water is so different, how does that show consistency in the in the universe? I mean, is it just this weird one-off thing, or does it still fit within the uh, the laws and the rules? I mean, obviously it must. How? Yeah, well, I mean, it. You know, this is the 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 water was the the primary focus of Henderson's book, Fitness uh, of the Environment, and it's remarkable because in his day we had no understanding of chemical bonding. Uh, and so he developed this oh. insight into the unusual nature of water uh, without the, the, adva the advantage of having modern day understanding of chemical bonding. Well, now that we've developed that understanding, we understand why water is so unusual. And, and indeed water conforms to the laws of physics uh, and the law, you know, and, and so it's not, something that is its properties are not inexplicable but it's you have this unusual confluence of all these constants of nature creating this just right set of circumstances that make water have these this highly unusual set of properties that then make life possible uh, and, and so we understand why water is a, again such an unusual liquid uh, we can explain that from the laws of physics uh, but yet it's 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 uh, interesting in that it's so anomalous. In fact, you might be surprised to know this, but chemists are still studying water and they're still learning things about water that they find to be mind-boggling that they didn't even know were were uh, were properties or attributes of water. Ooh, so, really? So, yeah, oh, do so tell. Th a, I'm, I'm sorry. You turned you turned that switch on. I want to know some things. That is really crazy interesting. Yeah, well, you know, uh, you know, for example, uh, it, it all has to do ultimately with what's called hydrogen bonding. Water engages in this really unusual interaction called hydrogen bonding, and the strength of the hydrogen bond is just exactly what it's needed to needed to be for water to have a whole range of, of properties that that make it suitable for life. I think most people are familiar with this property, you know, which is uh, when water freezes, when water goes from a liquid state to a solid state, it actually becomes less dense, not more dense. Every other material, for the most part, uh, when you go from a liquid state to a solid state, it becomes more dense. Well, water is the opposite. It goes from a liquid to a solid and it becomes less dense, which is why ice floats in your glass. If, if water was like every other material, the ice in your glass would sit at the bottom of your glass, not float on top of it. Well, this has profound implications because what it means is that when the earth begins to cool down and water freezes, it will actually float to the surface of large bodies of water and then create a, a layer of insulation uh, that then keeps the water beneath it in a liquid state and warm enough for, for certain life forms to actually survive the winter. If water uh, was like other materials in the, in the, the, um, the solid material floated to the bottom, what would end up happening is as that body of water froze, it would form this massive chunk of ice that would never actually have enough energy in the environment to melt and convert back into, into a liquid state. So we would live in a world that was basically a permanent ice sheet, uh, that we would live in an ice world, not a water world. So that's just like an example of one really unusual property. And it all has to do with hydrogen bonding. And physicists and chemists have 
calculated what happens if you tweak the strength of the hydrogen bond a little bit stronger or a little bit weaker. In every case, you end up uh, making water essentially useless as, as a, a material to support life, as a solvent system for life. So, so you know, it's, it, it, so it's eerie. I mean, it, you know, are we just lucky, you know, or is, are these coincidences that are stacking up actually telling us something about, you know, the, the, the meaning and the purpose of the universe? Uh, which is the view that I hold that this is telling us something that very important about uh, the the universe, and that is there is a, a meaning and a purpose of Ooh, a this design is so, to the universe. Yeah, it jazzes me. Can I make a personal request for those of you who are watching, listening, or viewing? I've got the I've had the opportunity to talk with Dr. Rana for years now. I don't even know how many years we've been doing these exchanges. Uh, so I want to ask a personal favor. You don't have to grant it, but I'm telling you, I would love, I have always, I wish I could do this, write a book on water. There's so much, just in what you just said, that's a chapter, but there's so much about water and, and its recycling per abilities. You know, we're, we're drinking the same water that Jesus drank, basically, uh, when he walked the earth. I mean, the ultimate in, in environmental friendliness right there <laughs> in recycling water being such a part of us but also having a spiritual element as well i know i digress a bit because you're probably thinking girl i just finished a book <gasps> <gasps> what the heck but i would love that i would love a book on water don't you think that would be fascinating yeah well and i actually have a few books on my shelf that are all dedicated to water so <laughs> unfortunately uh you know, I've been, you know, we, we've been, you know, you have to send the, send me race. some recommendations, but, but yes. uh, water and then the spiritual element of water, which we could go oh, off yes. on a rabbit trail as well. Um, if you're just joining us, it is such a joy to have with us, uh, Dr. Fazrana with reasons to believe. And now reasons to yes, believe. Guy. Uh, from reasons to believe, you can go to reasons.org. His book is really taking the anthropic principle into biochemistry. So you think of anthropics on, on a large scale, and then you're bringing it into a smaller scale. We've talked about water. Let's talk about some of the other uh, extraordinary coincidences as we try to solve the mystery of how did this all happen and why are we still here after all? Uh, let's look at some of the other conclusions that you come to in your book fit for a purpose yeah well you know uh one example of fine-tuning that we see in in you know fitness for a purpose that we see in biochemistry has to do with proteins and and uh, proteins just a very quick uh, re review of biochemistry proteins are these really large molecules that are found inside cells that are responsible for carrying out all the different operations in the cell performing all the different structures in the cell. Uh, I like to call them the workhorse molecules of life. And even the simplest bacterium uh, must have several thousand different types of proteins that are all working collaboratively for that, that cell to actually exist as a living entity. And, and so because proteins are of such importance to, to life, if you're going to 
in, in proteins. And proteins are, again, these very large molecules that are made by linking smaller molecules together uh, in a chain. These are called amino acids. So you can think of each amino acid as being like the link in a chain. And then that, the, the backbone of that chain will fold into different shapes. And then those folded shapes will interact with each other to form this very elaborate, complex three-dimensional structure that has to be folded exactly right in order for that protein to function. Uh, and it turns out that proteins are the only type of molecule that actually can form these higher order stable three-dimensional structures that are capable of carrying out the activities needed for life. When you start looking at reasonable alternatives to proteins, none of those systems actually will function like proteins. Uh, and so proteins seem to be this really unusual system in terms of their capacity to carry out different activities in the cell. Uh, and it all stems from, again, a really unusual aspect of, of protein structure, which is the bond that links together the amino acids. It's called an amide linkage. And it's a really bizarre, unusual chemical bond, just like water is this really bizarre, unusual system, but yet has the just right properties needed for life. And there's nothing else like it. Same thing is true with proteins. There are no other molecules like it. It has the just right properties for life. And it's that unusual bond that actually controls the way that the, the backbone folds and then that the, and that, that the other groups then in, or the folded structures interact to form proteins. And it turns out that if you have a, a protein that's 150 amino acids in length, there's about 10 to the 68 ways that that protein can fold in principle. That's an enormous number. And, and this leads to something called the Liebenthal paradox. How are proteins, when they're made at ribosomes in a chain-like manner, how do they fold into their precise shape so that they can be functional? There's no time, there's not enough time available in the universe's history for proteins to, to adopt their folds given the number of possibilities. Well, it turns out that we've discovered that there's only about a thousand ways that a protein can fold about 10 to three ways because of constraints from the laws of nature. So even though there's a vast number of ways that proteins can fold, there's only a handful of ways they actually can fold in reality because of the constraints of the laws of nature. And these wow. folds are exactly what you need for life to be possible. And, and, and so, you know, it's again, these, these really eerie anthropic wow. coincidences. And it turns out that uh, there is something called a folding parameter that two biophysicists discovered and described, and it has to do with the, the diameter of, of, of a tube and the, the length uh, along the tube in which the tube can interact with itself. Uh, that, that ratio is called the folding parameter. And so if you have a string, uh, the folding parameter is very, very small, and so there's like an infinite number of ways it can fold. If the folding parameter is very large, it's like a fat tube, it can't fold. But when the folding parameter is one, that's when you actually have a, 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 a tractable number of folds. And it turns out that when they've modeled how that type of folding would work, you wind up producing the same folds that you see in, in proteins. And it turns out that the folding parameter for proteins is one, which is really crazy because when you think about all the different chemical parameters, that go into the structure of proteins, the fact that 
the diameter of that tube, that, that chain is exactly one relative to the, the length of the interactions between functional groups on the protein chain, that's absolutely mind-blowing that you'd have proteins that already have this unusual set of properties that make them just right for life, would also have the ch chain geometry just right so that it can fold in the just right way so that life is possible. That's astounding to me. When you look at just one of these, you go, oh, wow, what a coincidence. And that is basically what we've been talking about this morning. The coincidence, uh, going in and investigating like it's a crime scene, what's happening here. But put these together, uh, you have jam-packed in your book, Fit for a Purpose, many of these stories, many of the coincidences, and this is just on uh, in, in, in microbiology, this is just within, you know, within living organisms. Uh, there are so many that it almost seems innumerable, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. And, you know, in terms of this idea, you know, is this just a coincidence or is there something really suspicious going on here? you know, uh, you know, the, using the crime scene analogy. And what I did in the book is I actually, uh, you know, not only looked at things like water and carbon dioxide, oxygen, organic compounds, which are, you know, the, the, the key elements of the environment needed for life, but I looked at proteins and DNA and RNA in cell membranes. I looked at uh, protein synthesis, DNA replication, and then what's called intermediary metabolism, the pathways that harvest energy and that essentially are used to, to build the building block materials needed uh, for, for life. This is called central carbon metabolism. And the reason I chose those systems is that those are the core biochemical systems. Those are the systems that original life researchers believe to be the non-negotiable systems that are needed for an organism to be recognized as a living entity. And so the fact that we see the anthropic coincidences that just stack up on top of each other for each of these core systems, to me, says that this is not a coincidence, but this is a deliberate design. Okay, you know, because... I want to get there, but uh, I think I would be remiss in my journalistic duties if I didn't ask, is there any other uh, theory or ideas out there presented or just kind of delved into that have any kind of weight in trying to explain how all of these coincidences come together, how this could possibly be outside of the idea of some kind of design. Yeah, well, um, you know, the, the only, and, and by the way, nobody has really put forth, uh, put forward a case for the anthropic principle extending into biochemistry. So this is actually a first, right. not only an apologetics first, but really a scientific first in terms of, of this book that I'm you know, uh, presenting here. Uh, so I'm not really sure how people are going to react to that till we, we get some traction. But when it comes to the anthropic principle in general, uh, the, the, the one response that I often see is this response that Brandon Carter gave in the 1970s when he discovered the anthropic principle. And that is, well, 
of course, the universe is exactly the way it needs to be for life to be possible, because if it was any other way, there wouldn't be observers in the universe to recognize that the universe wasn't the way it needs to be for life to be possible, kind of like a, a circular reasoning. Yeah. And I think everybody accepts that as being true, right? If, if you know, the universe isn't designed for life, then of course life isn't going to be in the universe. You know, but again, what I see here is really sidestepping the issue. You're not really explaining why the universe is this way or why biochemical systems are this way. Because the uh, philosophical uh, right. outcome is, that's huge. That's, that's right. a little bit scary. Right. If I mean, yeah. really, you're dealing with, okay, if it's designed, who designed it? Who did this? Yes. Yeah. And, and that's the, you know, once you come to that conviction that there is a mind behind, you know, everything, then you have to ask the question, who is that mind and how do I relate to that mind? You know, and, and to me, it's not just simply that, again, the, you know, the universe is designed, which suggests the designer or that there's fitness for purpose that seems to be pointing to life, which says and there's an intentionality. But when you think about how exacting everything is in the universe, uh, there, there must be a very high purpose that this creator had for life and ultimately for human beings. Uh, you know, Can we and, even and go so further? Because it's not just life. Uh, and human beings, right? I mean, think of a, a caged animal. Uh, it gets food, it gets water, but it doesn't get a, a, a pumpkin, an apple pie, a chocolate cream pie, a cherry pie, a blackberry pie. You know, the diversity, we not only have what we need for life, but we have extraordinary beauty. We can look at a sunset and be at awe. We have uh, this diversity of, of food. So we don't just have what nourishes us. We have things that we can enjoy and something different every night. Oh, I don't want to have pizza again. Oh, my goodness. We, we are blessed beyond reason. And we have the arts. Um, and it reminds me of a question I wanted to ask you. I, something else that is that I think you as the listener, viewer, reader will enjoy. Uh, all of Dr. Rana's books, and certainly I've seen it interwoven in the books that you can pick up at reasons.org, uh, have a, a, an innate ability to take higher ideas that you've taken years of study to get to and make it palatable to everyday people. But you also interweave in your books um, um, some of Dr. Rana, some fuzzisms, and music is one of those things. I thought maybe you could share briefly for those of us, uh, take it outside of the the deep, intricate science, the anthropics of music. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you know, one of the things I, I find fascinating, I, I, I have no musical ability, but I love music and I'm so I'm just enthralled with 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 music and in with, with musicianship. But one of the things I find amazing is that we all walk around with a soundtrack to our lives that we've assembled from essentially other people's music, right? Mm -hmm. You know, people, even though they have, you know, 
they're writing a song to express their feelings, their experiences, uh, their, con their what they're thinking about, contemplating. Somehow, because of the universal nature of, of, of our experiences as human beings, those songs that they write for their purposes fit so well with the circumstances of our lives and the experiences and the feelings that we have that we end up appropriating other people's songs and we make them our own. And so we put together kind of a soundtrack, you know, to, to our lives. And, you know, in, because these songs are just right, they, they, there's a fitness for purpose to these songs in terms of how they, they help us to express and capture those things that we're feeling, you know, and, uh, it's not just simply these are the songs that we heard when something was happening. No, these songs perfectly capture, you know, again, what we're feeling, what we're experiencing. Uh, and, and so because of the, our, song, our soundtracks to our lives have a fitness for purpose, I played off of that idea and I, I you know, talked about the fact, well, in a sense, when you think about the fine tuning of the universe, that there's a, a that fitness for purpose means that there's a song to the universe where everything in the universe is, is singing in, in just the right way to make life possible. So there's a soundtrack to the universe. And so I played off of that and, and introduced each chapter in the book with a, a story about a song that had, you know, some personal meaning to me that was part of the soundtrack of my life, you know, and then showed how that actually connected to the, the contents of the chapter. But, but uh, you know, to me, this idea of fitness for purpose you know, um, it is something that we all, I think, recognize that that things have to be a, a just right way in order for it to accomplish a purpose, whether it's the music that we listen to, whether it's the the, the mm -hmm. appliances that we buy to, to cook with, to cook our Thanksgiving dinners with, or to listen to the music that we listen to, or whether it's the constants of nature or the the design of biochemical systems, everything has this, this fitness for purpose. And, you know, to me, that, that conveys an enormous amount of care to, to take the time to make things just right so that life is possible reflects too, not only design and intentionality, but it reflects care. And I think uh, uh, love for for that which you know you would have met you would make and is that amazing we're talking about something that we can look at cold and factual science and yet being fit for a purpose has love at the very center that's why we see the beauty the diversity i wanted to get to in our final moments together what the song of the universe is really singing and who it's singing to well, you know, when when you think about the fact that we have this ability to enjoy music, to to appreciate the beauty of the world around us, you know, that to me in and of itself is an argument for a creator, you know, because if we lived in a world that was the product of a, a creator who was all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-good, that we would expect that universe to be elegant and beautiful. But if we are creatures that are made in God's image to to be able to be in a relationship with that creator and to, to appreciate the creator's glory, that wouldn't we have a sense and respond to that beauty that's around us? And so that to me makes sense if we are image bearers, you know, made to be in a relationship with the creator, that, that we would actually be able to perceive the beauty 
and to enjoy that beauty and to reflect upon what that beauty is actually telling us. And that beauty is not just simply the, the wonderful colors or the amazing landscapes we see or the beautiful sounds we hear when we listen to music. That beauty is also in the, in the scientific detail of how the universe is put together. And so I see biochemical systems as beautiful as the most beautiful piece of art that could ever be produced uh, because it reflects not only the creator's handiwork and glory and, and power, but I think it reflects uh, the, the creator's artistry as well. There is a song to the universe. It is like an, it's like a masterpiece, a uh, magnum opus. It's uh, if you've ever gone to watch an orchestra that all of those differing pieces if someone is out of tune or they're playing something different you hear it at the beginning before the tap 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 and everyone comes together you hear these differing you know people warming up their mouths or instruments their embouchure uh making sure things are in tune and it's chaos but suddenly there's a tap, 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 and there's orchestration and everything comes together. And all of these, there could be a hundred people in the orchestra and yet everything comes together and you have this masterpiece that is beautiful, can bring emotion and math and all of these things that intertwine into music. That's what we see in the universe. It's hard to deny. So as we go into our Thanksgiving weekend, this is the time to be grateful and to take a deeper look, maybe for the first time, at what is really behind all of the intricacy and elegance of the universe. I would highly recommend for your holiday season to uh, maybe as a gift or as a gift to yourself, pick up this book. Um, if, if anything you've heard today is interesting, oh, it is the tip of the floating iceberg, a fit for a purpose. Does the anthropic principle include biochemistry? It is a extraordinary book, the first of its kind. You've heard it here. A great thing to get for the holidays for yourself or someone else. And you can go to My Michelle Life. We'll have a direct link. So you can just boom, pick up the book, get it shipped right to you, wrapped in time for Christmas, or just read it yourself over the holidays. Dr. Fuzz Rana is with Reasons to Believe. My guest and my friend, thanks for joining us. Michelle, thanks for having me. It's always fun. <laughs> More SciTech Talk at MyMichelleLive.com.